Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. And so I'm going to change my introduction up a little bit because whenever I come into a service, I have my planned agenda, but I also want to have freedom to the spirit, right? Amen, right? That's why I'm your pastor. <laughs> and so in that, uh, when I walked in, one of our connectors said to me, so what's your stress level right now? What's your stress level, okay? On a scale of one to 10, what's your stress level? Don't worry about mine, and I'll tell you in a moment, but on a scale of one to 10, how many of you are feeling about a seven this week? Seven? Okay, seven. How many of you are feeling an eight? Eight? Nine? How many of you are not stressed out? Are you guys just dead? Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> the cools are never stressed out. I think in like my, my next world, okay, I don't believe in that, so I'm just joking around when I say that. Um, but right now, everybody's pretty geared up. Graduations, sporting events, there's so much going on. And it's funny because I had a different introduction, but what I'm about to say leads right into the same message I'm going to preach, so it doesn't really matter. Right now, we are overly stressed out. And if it wasn't for COVID, I promise you, you would be just as stressed out. Do I get an amen for that? Because if it wasn't COVID, you would find something else to be stressed out about. Do I get an amen, all you New Jerseyites? And so we know to live in New Jersey, we are a little cuckoo, a little wired in a different way. So when you have people that move from the Midwest to New Jersey, they're like, you guys are like aliens. <clears throat> You're a little bit different. And so um, we have a couple that moved from the Midwest, and you can just see it in their eyes sometimes. You're just like, whoa, what is going on with you all? You guys are all just like, like, like literally, like you're not only a different breed, you're a different species. Do I get an amen for being from New Jersey? Amen? Right. Okay, Rick, thank you. But it's one of those things how true it is. And I love studying the book of James. I've never enjoyed diving into a book like this one in a long time. And it's funny is I've always enjoyed James, but I can't say ever, I ever loved the book of James. I mean, there was good like one-offs. Like I said, it's the New Testament Proverbs. But when you, when you really study James from, from verse 1, chapter 1, all the way through chapter 5, there is a thread of what James is speaking to us about how do we handle our faith under pressure. And he's so simple, he's almost hard to preach. You ever know that when something's so simple, it's almost harder sometimes to explain it? You ever have that? You're like, well, it's like, like you know what I'm talking about. And it's like, you just got to have to read it. And what we're going to actually talk about today, James deals with the two things that cause us the most stress, and it's actually our fault. Our fault. Time management and fiscal responsibility. Time management and fiscal responsibility. And between Friday, 6 o'clock, and Sunday, 6 o'clock, when we were supposed to try to find rest, our schedules are even more busy than ever that we actually never know how to truly live in a place of Sabbath or balance. But I'm just going to 
boldly and confidently talk through the second half of chapter 4 through the first half of chapter 5 about two important aspects that cause more frustration and more pressure in our life, and it's all self-induced. Pray with me. Jesus, when we look at the book of James, we are reading the words from the pastor of the church of Jerusalem to the people of God. And I ask you that as we look at these two sections, that you would speak loudly to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to point this out again, and I've said this, I said this last week, and someone goes, wow, I never realized that. James was a pastor. James was a pastor. And when you hear that, and you hear how he wrote and what he wrote, it makes, it brings a lot of clarity. The words he chose, the way that he wrote, it brings a lot of clarity that, that James was the shepherd over churches. They were like multi-site. And he gave oversight because when he went from location to location to location to location, he noticed that there were shortcomings in people's lives that kept them from the power of the gospel. And I want us to, to, to come with a humble, a new humbleness today as we look at these two different sections where I can speak to you pastorally more than any other way. Chapter 4, verse 13 through 17. Look here, you who say, and let's all, if you've ever said this, you can say an amen. Today or tomorrow, we're going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Anyone know what's going to happen tomorrow? If you do, please tell me. Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans, and all such boasting is what? Evil. Remember, it is sin. It is sin. To know what you ought to do and then do not do it. Don't we love to blame our children or others when they do not do the things that they tell you they are supposed to do and they do not follow through? But what about ourselves? So the importance of planning. When you look at scripture, you see that there is a huge importance to planning. You look at the Ark of the Covenant. You look at the building of the temple. You look at the so many different parts of Scripture. You see the importance of planning. Do I get an amen for that? Being scheduled is important. And I will even say, I could probably give you a good argument that it is biblical. Being organized is not just healthy, but in a way, it's a form of being biblically minded. Now, when I had my first job, I was a youth pastor. And my secretary, her name was Sharon, and she said to me, the last youth pastor before you was basically driven out of town because of how unorganized he was. I'm going to teach you to win the parents. 
And I'm going to teach you to be so organized because I think she saw in my eyes how disorganized I was. And she said, I'm going to make sure that you will never find yourself in a disagreement with a parent because you are so overly organized because most of the parents were just fighting with this guy over how disorganized he was. And I think she was more exhausted of him than even knowing me. Well, little did she know she was speaking to my soul. And I became the most organized youth pastor in the land. But the problem was is that I lived and died by my schedule to a fault. My calendar needed a calendar. Is there anyone out there like that? Is there anyone out there that needs a calendar for their calendar and that other calendar needs another calendar? Now let me ask you a question. In the last two weeks, have you begged God that something would be canceled by chance? Right? How true this is. Now, now we look at scripture and what we do is we, we overcomplicate the word of God. Because what we do is we overplan our lives so much that we miss out on the things that matter most. And I found myself in that place. But here's the truth about our calendars. Our calendars represent what we value most. Amen? If you were to open your calendar, I could sit down with you and say, this is what so-and-so values most. Now, notice how I didn't bring any names up. And so there's a dilemma when our planning is done in such a way where it dictates every moment of our life and it's all centered around self-centered gain. And let me tell you a sin that James is bringing up, the sin of self-promotion. Now, this is a, a, a trap that I believe that we are wooed into because we live in New Jersey. If you can't make it here, you can't make it where? Anywhere, right? Frank Sinatra. I mean, that kind of bled into New Jersey, even though he was talking about New York. Like, if you can't make it in New Jersey, you, come on. It's either here or nowhere. But, but watch what James says. There's a sin of self-promotion that we, as followers of Jesus, have to be very, very careful of, including people in the nonprofit world and even pastors. Today or tomorrow, we are going to a certain town, and we will stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. And so here is the tension. Does your ambition dominate how you manipulate your week? Does your ambition, does your self-promotion dominate your week, which dominates your day, which dominates your relationships? And I believe for each one of us at some point, the majority of us, if we were to sit down with Jesus in a closed room conversation, you would say, yeah, I think there's a truth to this. And it's not only about us, it's about our children. I grew up in Bergen County. Yes, I have my doctorate now. But when I got out of high school, the, the last thing that I should have done was go to college. But there was such an unhealthy push for me to have to go to college, that it actually cost a lot of money. 
and failure. And there's this selfish ambition that, that our kids have to live through us. That our kids have to at least live up to our standards or even said have to expound upon the things that we've accomplished. And if you never lived out your dreams fully, you want your kids to be the vessel that your dreams are lived out. I see it all the time. How we function daily is an indicator of how much we trust God. So let me ask you a good question to ask yourself. Do you center your schedule around self-promotion or God's positioning? Do you center your schedule around your self-promotion or God's positioning? And two, do you arrange your kid's schedule around their self-promotion or God's empowering? We want our kids to take dance. We want our kids to play sports. We want our kids to do arts. We want them to do everything. Why? So that we can figure out the gifts that God has given them so that they can excel in those things. But the dilemma comes is that when we're controlling our kids and putting pressure on our kids and forcing things on our kids, that at the end of the day, they wanted nothing to do with it. I'm one of seven boys. The most athletic boy out of all the bunch, and I'm not talking about myself, the most athletic boy out of all the bunch got so burnt out of athletics that he just hung it up. Because in many ways, he had to be the best at everything. And he came to the point that he's just like, dude, I just want to play my guitar. And we have to be really careful about this because James is seeing that in the churches that he is overseeing, that, that there is that it's something that became like something with good intentions, but now is turned into sin. Anything overdone is sin. Amen? These kind of things like, hey, finding your kids' gifts, finding, finding you going up in the ranks is, is, is not a sin until it becomes more about you than God's gifting in your life. And I think that's the one thing that we've learned during COVID. I, I tell people, I love COVID. I'm sorry. God has done more work in my soul in the last 14 months than maybe he's done in the last five years. And trust me, during church planting, he's done a whole lot in my soul. But during COVID, all of our schedules were just kind of put to the corner. All of our schedules, those guys who had to travel and these things and, and kids that were in 20 different sports, everything just shut down. For the first time in, our, in really in our generation, people were riding bikes again. You can't even buy a bike because parents just wanted their kids to get out and play. Even adults riding bikes. Now you walk down to, to some of the basketball courts and you see kids being kids, playing like kids should be kids. And adults walking around and talking. And even it's gotten to the point where you see couples holding hands once again. Is it possible that, that what we have done, that, that we have been living in a sin called self-promotion, that we've missed out on what God has best for us? That's so what it says in Proverbs. Remember I said, I said James is the Proverbs of the New Testament? Look what Proverbs 19.21 says. You can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. You can have the plans for the house, but if God wants it built, it will be built. The question is, are we positioning ourselves to be able to live out the calling that God has for us rather than the calling that we want to come to fruition? I notice whenever I don't overdo that and try too hard, that's when I excel the most. Try it. Take a deep breath. 
pace yourself hard, but don't live in the place of, uh, of always having to live in a place of self-promotion or success. And here's one thing that I have learned as a pastor, as your pastor, as, a, as someone doing, being in ministry for over 24 years now, I feel old when I say that, that there are three ways that people plan their lives. God bless. So many Christians are functioning atheists. You know, we always talk about functioning alcoholics. There are so many Christians that are functioning atheists. They say they, they believe in God and love God and, and love Jesus, but when you look at their lives and their schedules and, and how they really dictate everything for the future, they have no belief, no faith, no relationship with the living God. And yet, Easter and Christmas, they'll show up. Isn't it funny how churches live on Easter and Christmas? Because like, wow, look how many people came to church. Seriously, that's what it means to be the church? What a poor way to have success. But then you have another group of people that are called God light. These are people that when things are going good and things are going great, hey, God's in control, but when things are going bad, God, what are you doing to me? What have I done? And when everything's going your way or my way, and we've all lived in this place, amen, where when things are going in our direction, God's on the throne. But when things are not, then God's not on the throne. I have to put myself back on the throne. And faith is convenient. Church life is convenient. Meeting in groups is convenient. And it's God-like because it only works around your schedule, not living under the authority and the lordship of Jesus. Let me say this. Everything is about the lordship of Christ. Sitting under the lordship of Jesus. Jesus is on the throne and I kneel underneath his throne. And what we've done in churches is that we have watered this down so much. We've missed the blessing of the fullness of following Jesus. But the one thing that I do love about pastoring the plant, that we have pushed for this whole vision of God-led people. People that trust God in the thick and thin of life, in the highs and the lows. People that wrestle with the hard topics and just don't pick up their ball and, and go home. People that when their schedules are ultra busy and, and God has called them to lead a group that, that they realize that that's the priority that God has called them to in the midst of everything in life. They will still disciple the people that God has put in their life. And even in a place of loss, they say, he's on the throne and I'm underneath. And if you want to understand if you are God-less, God-light, or God-led, look at your calendars. Look at your calendars. Today and tomorrow, I'm going to do this. Today and tomorrow, we're doing that. Next year, guess what I'm going to do? And it's more about you than what God is up to. This is hard, isn't it? Like, you're like, man, I should have slept in this morning. Ocean Grove looked good right about now. 
Ramapo Reservation could have been a fun walk with a dog. But there's a reason why. Because the church got comfortable. And the church allowed culture. Culture. They allowed this whole idea of, of what's happening in society to dictate who they are, what they look like, and what they do. But then he attacks another, another aspect. I mean, he just, he just goes after it in, in two sections. Remember, when he wrote the letter, he didn't say, one, chapter 1, verse 1. He said, church, let me share with you what I see. Let me share with you what, what I see that God wants to continue to do in you. And here are some things that you need to work on. He did not do chapter 2, verse 15. No, everybody turn. No, let's read what James has seen in our church and let's talk about it. The next thing he, he addresses is a sin. He confronts the sin of excess. The sin of excess. And right away, he just nails it. He goes, talks about the excess of wealth, accumulation of wealth, and the hoarding of wealth. Because so much of what we have, you see, here's the problem is, it is not a sin to be wealthy. Amen? Okay, only one person wants to be wealthy. Good job, Bill. Okay, <laughs> he's our treasurer. <laughs> he's a finance guy. He's a finance guy, right? Everybody wants something, amen? Does everybody want stuff? Okay, you know what? Seriously. You, we, we can play with this in our heart, or we can just be honest with the scriptures. Of course we want stuff. Of course we want to live in a place of safety and security. But, but what James addresses is, is the, the sin, not of uh, that wealth is sin, but wealth leads us to the sin of excess. Now let me tell you, I know a lot of wealthy people that are amazing with their finances. And for some crazy reason, God just keeps blessing them, and they don't even live like they have a lot. It's almost like the more they give away, the, the more they get, the more they just keep giving. And it's not just to the church. It's to the church. It's to their neighbors. It's to families. It's to people around the world. He says this in chapter 5, verse 1 through 3. Look here, you rich people. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away, and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. The sin of excess. I mean, think about COVID. We went through our house multiple times because we were so bored during the beginning of COVID that we just got rid of and gave away. And what we see is that when we accumulate too much, that oftentimes we accumulate for a sense of security. I mean, just think about, like, how many of you are Starbucks fans out there? Starbucks versus Dunkin' Donuts. Starbucks? Dunkin' Donuts? Okay. Coffee? Everyone drink coffee? Tea? Any tea people out here? Right? Okay, coffee, right? Right? But, but there's these things that are, that are kind of like our, our adult pacifiers. And there are times even us guys need to go to the mall just to kind of clear our minds. Yes, we've succumbed to that, men. 
And there's a sin of excess that, that we have, that, that we live in such a place that, that the more we have, we believe gives us a place of security. I mean, there's a show on TV called Hoarders. Hoarders. And we're like, wow, they're really bad. I mean, if you went into my garage during COVID, you would think, wow, Rob's a hoarder. And if I went into your basement, I'd say, wow, they're a hoarder too. Because so much of what we have is a sin of excess needing to have as a sense of security. And James calls it out. We purchase items with no intention to use them, yet with an unhealthy need to have them. And James is like, stop. And remember, everything James talks about goes back to Jesus. The parable of the rich young, of the rich young ruler, one of the, rich, of the rich fool in Luke 12, 13 through 21, and you can read it this week. I'm just going to give you a summary. Jesus gives a parable of a rich fool. He has so much that he looks at his field and he says, look what I've created. Let me create bigger store barns, store more barns and silos so I can fill up my grain to just show how much I have. And he's talking to the Jewish people. And this is what he says. He says, but God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? You always talk about the whole idea that you never see like a U-Haul behind the, the driving of a hearse. We do not take it with us. But yet we have as a sense of security, much like our schedules. We overdo our schedules to give us a sense of purpose, that if I'm doing more, I'm accomplishing more, and I'm setting myself up for success. Meanwhile, your stress level is going to an 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and you are losing relationships because you have not trusted God with the life that he's created you to live. And we've all done it. But then he goes on and he says this, for listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. He confronts the sin of how you gain your wealth. Are you exploiting people to get rich? Are you exploiting others for your own selfish gain? Are you exploiting how you, how you lead a business or how you lead at your job or how you own a business? Are you exploiting those who have less so that you can have more? I love sitting down and talking with business owners because I can hear in the first 10 minutes if this is an issue in their soul. I love how there's someone in our church that owns their, their own business, and, and they really do look at it as a gospel vehicle, employing people, setting people up for success, and even during COVID, taking care of people even when they had a huge loss in profits. 
And what he and his wife believe as they own the company together is that as much as God has blessed them, it's their responsibility to take care of those who God has put underneath them. And that's not just one person. It's one of the reasons what I love pastoring the plant. Is that this, for some of you, this should be a motivation, let's do it better. Where for others saying, hey, I need to step up my game. And then for others just say, wow, I guess God's calling me to something else. I need to step into this and start living in the calling that God has. I mean, look at Levi, Matthew. This is what he did. Levi, Matthew, this is what he did. He exploited his Jewish people for his own gain. That's why no one liked Matthew. That's when they saw Matthew was hanging out with Jesus. They actually started not liking Jesus because of Matthew. And he's thinking, if Jesus hangs out with people like this, then why are we... Why are we even going to follow this guy? How do you accumulate your wealth? How? How do you pay for your taxes? Do you do it honestly? Or do you cheat? The little things. And we all catch ourselves. Amen? We all catch ourselves. We all catch ourselves, including Pastor Rob. How am I living? An unhealthy desire and lust for wealth comes at the expense of others. It will always come at the expense of others. But then he has one last part of this. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. Now, we need to save for the future. We have to save for the future. And I'll be very honest with you that, that this was a really hard part for Sue and I because when we first got married and we had a baby right away, we did everything right by the book. And remember when 9-11 hit? When some people lost a lot of money in the stock market? We were one of them. As a young couple, we lost over $30,000 in the stock market in one day. And we were thinking like, oh my gosh, what do we do? And we had to be careful how we were going to handle our next steps. And as a young couple, losing $30,000, that's a lot of money. And yes, we played catch up for a long time. But here's what we got to be really, really careful of. What's the end game? Planning for the future in a healthy way or planning for the future so that I am living in a place of hoarding for my selfish gain to in many ways exalt myself over others. Yes, we need to be stewards of the things that God has given us. But we must do it in a way that's God-honoring and not about self-satisfaction. And James just calls him out. Like you're building your store barns for yourself. Affluence comes into conflict with the things of God when? This is what I really wrestled with. Affluence comes into conflict with the things of God when? So here's your little test. 
Our possessions possess us. Our accolades affirm our ego. When our wealth alienates others from our life. That's when I know, as I coach people, pastor people, shepherd people, when they're going off the rails with their wealth. There has to be a healthy balance between saving and partnering in kingdom things. You are not of this world. You are not of this world. You are aliens and strangers. As much as you want to declare that you're an American Christian, you are a Christian before you are anything else. And here's what we also have to remember. God has granted each one of us with a measure we are to steward. God has granted each one of us with a measure that we are able to steward. And that frustrates me because I'm like, come on, God, if you give me a lot, I can steward it better. He's like, I've watched you, Rob. No, seriously, God, I swear, if you give me a million dollars, here's what I'm going to do with it. I'm going to break it up to this, 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 and this. I promise you the first, instead of 10%, I'll give you 15. Right? Let's be honest. But watch what Jesus says. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. It's the parable of the talents. Four, three, two, one. What do you do with the talents that God has given you? Not just your finances. But your finances plus your schedules. When you look at the position that God has placed you in, and the blessings and rewards that he's given you, look at your lives and see how you steward it. The one with the four gave it all away, and God said, hey, keep taking it. And then there's that one guy, right, in the parable with one, and what does he do? He buries it, and he says, well, I thought you were evil and unjust. And he's like, well, you know what, just dig it up, because that one I'm taking from you, I'm giving it to them. How are you doing with the things that God has entrusted to you? Your children, your vocation, your homes, your vehicles, your schedules, your kids' schedules, your finances, your spending money, your retirement. It is everything under the lordship of Jesus. That's all James is saying. Is everything under the lordship of Jesus. And this is a wrestling that we will walk through our whole entire life. Because we may put Jesus on the throne and we may take him off the throne. Amen? Anyone ever take Jesus off the throne? I have. Multiple times. So here's what I want you to do. I want to make this good. Let's talk about kingdom tools. Kingdom tools that God has granted you. First, your calendar. Your calendar can be a kingdom tool. And the way that you make it a kingdom tool is by aligning it with gospel connections. Men, ladies, students, your vocation is a gospel vehicle. Amen? God has gifted you and given you talents so that you would be gospel present in other people's lives. We want to know Christ. Why? To make him known. 
to make him known. Don't just bring people to church. Be the church. Events, plans are opportunities to be present with others. Create space in your life. Whether you're going to a job site, whether you're inviting people over in your neighborhood, whether you're at a sporting event. I, I can't stand when Christian parents are sitting in the outfield all by themselves. I just want to be like, ah! make them run away. No, you take your chair and you plop yourself in the middle of people and say, I'm going to cheer your kid on as you cheer my kid on. Because God has called us to be here for our children together. Moms, dads. Stop sitting on the sidelines on games and get in the game and start coaching your kids. Be present. Use your kids' schedule to figure out the gifts and talents that need to come out of them, not the ones you want to force on them. Oh, yes, I said that. My kids' events are opportunities to help them identify their God-given gifts and talents. That's it. It's not about you and your ego. And look at your church family. The plant is not a church you come to punch the clock. We are family. And you know that as you've gone through conflict in your life that we will step in and be present with you. And each one of you will step in each other's lives and be present for you. The world needs to see the church that acts like the first century church. Schedule your week. And when you schedule your week, put in your group. Put in Sunday morning. Some of you just need to start putting in Sunday morning that it is a priority so that you are empowered to know Christ. And hopefully this week, one of you will say, that it was on my calendar and I will not cancel this event. And you will show up. And then next month, you know what you'll do? You'll rewrite your calendar and say, I have overscheduled my life that there's no room for God to move. And there's no room for me to hear God. And lastly, it's a kingdom tool because you need to create space for rest. You have to rest. True confession, I am running at 170 miles per hour. And on June 23rd, I am shutting down for three weeks. Because in the last year and a half during COVID, I've taken a pastoral call almost every single day. Correct? Every single day. And I am shot. I am spent. And if I don't find healthy balance in my life, I'm going to say this from the pulpit, I'm not going to be able to do this much longer. Neither are you. So how do we find this healthy balance that our calendars are kingdom tools? And then second, heavenly provisions is a fiscal responsibility. Every single dollar you have, God has given to you. God has provided financially to provide for your needs. God has provided financially to provide for those closest to you. God has provided financially to care for others in need. It's one of the things why every once in a while I'll say, hey, there's a, there's a need in the school. You know, if anyone wants to help out, jump on in. It's the reason why four weeks ago we did the whole uh, sponsor a child. Practice giving to others in need. Practice it. And God has provided financially to partner with the church for gospel movements. Do you know this summer we are going to baptize someone almost every single Sunday? Do you know last year during COVID, during COVID, we baptized six 
teenagers. Do you know how many people have come to faith? Do you know in West Milford alone, West Milford said that the plant church of West Milford that was planted four weeks before the pandemic hit, that we were the one church that stepped up and did more in their community than any other church around. Partner with the things of God because one day you will stand before the King of Kings and he will not look at the things that you have created on earth, but he will look at the crown that you hand to him in heaven. There is a responsibility that God has given to each of us, including Pastor Rob. My time, my talents, my treasures. They're not my own. I'm called to steward them. I'm called to steward them. You want to know Christ? Rearrange your schedule that you're knowing him and spending time with him. You want to know that God is Jehovah Jireh? Rearrange your schedule and how you look at your finances and align them with the things of God. And then naturally, you will make him known because people will see it in you. But we come to church to wrestle with this. We go to our groups to wrestle with this. We meet with one another to sharpen one another. To be able to live out the fullness that God has for us everything and nothing less belongs to Jesus amen amen I invite the band to come up as we close in worship it was great having you with us today we do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known for more sermons and resources please visit us at theplantchurch.org